What's up, everybody? It is uh, Wednesday, August 23rd, 2017, and this is the promotional malpractice live chat here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, just a breakfast here at the media center in uh, what's called Las Vegas Live. You can see the tent behind me. There's really nobody here right now, which is kind of surprising. I mean, yes, it's only, what, 10 a.m. here, local time. But uh, this time, for maybe the Pacquiao, there's a few more people filled out. Um, I can't really turn the camera too much. Let me see if you can, what I can show. There's a little bit. This is the media center. There's a dog. Um, I'm in the very front row here, so there's no actual row behind me. And you can see, I'm trying to turn this around so you get a good look here. This is what it looks like, right? People walking around. There's a lounge here with a guy who makes coffee. Pretty nice setup. Uh, and then I'm here. If you look in the back, you can see this is where the radio row is. These are Sirius XM banners. And then behind that, you see these, like, see the McGregor and Mayweather, like um, the big posters or whatever? That is where uh, MMA fighting's uh, MMA hour specials are going to be. There's the TV rows in the back behind Radio Row. So it's like print media here on these rows, Radio Row behind it, and then television row even behind that. Uh, pretty big tent, nice and air-conditioned. It's as hot as balls here in Las Vegas. So uh, here we are. Thank you so much for joining me. Pretty exciting stuff, huh? Um, okay, so you guys know how this works. We go for about minutes or so. Talk about the biggest topics in MMA. I don't think I need to tell you what those are. Um, so we can go ahead and get into those now. Best place to get your questions in is going to be on MMAfighting.com. Questions that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. Uh, okay. So let's get to these questions. Now, let me say something up front. Um, the boys at Reddit hammered me for this, uh, quite rightly. Um, we're going to get into John Jones here. I'm, I'm a mad yeah. Yes. First question is about John Jones. So there you go. Um, three weeks ago, I got on, <laughs> I got on, <laughs> I got on here and I was like, well, all smugly, you know, I don't hear any people talking about his steroid issues now. Oops. Got that wrong. So my bad. Um, you know, sometimes I'll get them right and sometimes I'll get them wrong. And truth is we don't actually know all of the facts yet. Um, you know, we haven't even had to confirm what he used, but suffice to say that the confidence with which I issued that previous opinion probably needs to be revised. So Got it wrong. Thank you guys for holding my feet to the fire. And, uh, and let's talk about the facts now. Okay, what's the question here, by the way? I got some coffee as well. Okay, John Jones. So the reported substances found in the failed sample seems to be a steroid known as Terenobol. How much do you know about this drug and its effects? Also, is John, excuse me, if John is given a multi-year suspension what does this mean for his legacy? Okay. First things first, Terenobol. Don't know much about it. Number two, TMZ is the only one reporting it's Terenobol. Now, I'm not suggesting that report is wrong, merely suggesting that, or really observing, that they're the ones who reported it. LA Times repeated it, but I don't know that they independently verified it. And we spoke to Jeff Davisky last night. I think you've seen all of the uh, scrums by now. Uh, he would not confirm what the substance was. So, uh, but let's say it was Terenobol which it very well might have been. Um, I don't know much about it. It's an oral steroid from, from basic reading about it. Uh, it appears to be one that cycles through your system pretty quickly. Um, it's one of the, it, yeah, I think by WADA standards, it would be a non-specified yeah, yes, non substance, which would make it one of the harder 
things you could potentially pop for relative to things he's popped before, which was a specified substance, right? The things he popped before, uh, in the most nefarious sense, are things that help to cover up performance-enhancing drug use, but they don't by themselves enhance performance. Um, or at least they, not really as a masking agent, but also as a way to shield from the more negative effects. But they by themselves don't boost performance. Uh, if, if it's the case of Terenable, if that's right, then that would absolutely be a performance-enhancing drug by any reasonable measurement. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of reading you can do about Terenable and who has and who has um, who has used it previously, what it's good for, what it's not good for. I believe it's good for putting on lean muscle mass quickly. Um, you know, which would make it a, a, an ideal bodybuilding drug because those guys aren't necessarily concerned about strength; they're more concerned about uh, size and physique. And so, therefore, something that allows you to add lean mass relatively issue-free uh, would be the perfect kind of drug for that. So that's what I know about it, which is to say, not much. I highly encourage you to find other uh, subject matter experts who can give you a better look about that. Um, now, the other question. John is given a multi-year suspension. What does that mean for his legacy? I, I don't know that. I mean, it would be, dude, this is super bad. This is super, super bad. This Everyone is sort of saying things like, uh, well, what does this mean for John's legacy? And John did this to himself. And here's John Jones, effing it up again. And certainly, all those things are true. Uh, well, the question's at least worthy of exploration. But it's like this is bad for MMA. This is this is not good. I'm not saying it's the end of the world. I'm not saying he's going to take the ship down with him. You know, I'm not suggesting that at all. But you know, he came back, roaring back. He looked like a, a million bucks in his last fight. He did something that no one else had ever done. And, um, you know, you thought the redemption story had come full circle. The guy had just turned 30. You know, you thought that finally, I don't know if all the pieces were in place, but enough of them to make it work. And then you have this. And here's the point. Even if he finds a way to exonerate himself, which, by the way, is no given. But even if he finds a way to exonerate himself, who is going to believe him? Um even if he finds a way to get it the one-year suspension, people, A, have lost another year after 30. I mean, how many years are we talking about total time off from various forms of infractions, right? More than three. But that would be a best-case scenario in many circumstances. And um, now MMA has lost another headliner. You know, they've lost potentially their best fighter. This was, you know, they did... 850,000 or more pay-per-view buys at UFC 214. And now you're in a position where you can't capitalize on that. Who are the other stars you're going to put out there in that upper middle class section of the guys who can deliver on pay-per-view buy rates? You know, I'm not saying there's nobody. Perhaps GSB versus Bisping will reach that, but to what extent can we rely on either of those fighters to continue much longer after their November 4th collision, right? Not much further. This is bad. This is real bad. Uh, I'm not, again, I don't think he's going to take the ship down with him, and I don't I don't want to be as drastic as saying MMA needs John Jones, but boy, they could have used his help, especially this year. And this is a terrible, terrible blow uh, to him and to the sport, depending on what happens. Now, let's say he gets a multi-year suspension. Dana White last night said it matter-of-factly. 
you know, if he gets a two or three year suspension, that's probably the end of his career. I don't think that's crazy. Two years, I don't know. Three, maybe. If he gets a four year, I mean, you know, I mean, four years is how long it took McGregor to get from A to A to Z. It's a, it's just a lifetime. It's a lifetime, man. Um, what will his legacy be in some case like that? Well, look, if he gets a minor suspension, let's say six months, and gets back on the horse, I still think he will have a ton of issues and asterisks related to his career, right? Because now there's going to be questions of whether they're fair or not. What did you get away with when the testing was um, relatively lax? You know, what can we say about the wins now? What do we really know is the truth? Even so, even if he, and this is my point, even if he exonerates himself from the current predicament in terms of a lengthy suspension, there are, you have now planted the seeds of doubt in ways that they are going to bear fruit that will last potentially forever. So, I mean, that's your best case scenario, right? I mean, is total exoneration possible? I don't know. Uh, and then if you begin to add on a year, or two, or three, four. I mean, this is, uh, I don't know what the sporting equivalent would be. You know, Someone yesterday said to me, Daryl Strawberry, but I don't believe that because that was drugs and recreation, and he was never, I mean, Daryl Strawberry was a beast. He was never as good at baseball, as good as he was, as John Jones is at MMA. Uh, so I don't buy that comparison. It's almost it's almost without precedent, to be honest. It's almost without precedent, to be honest. Uh, it is. I mean, when I got the news yesterday, I was lit, I was sitting in, uh, in the, the Ultimate Fighter gym. I was sitting next to Chamakar Sandu, and I could not believe what I was seeing. And at the same time, I could. And it was in that space of trying to wrestle with shock and almost confirmation. And that's a weird place to be, and I don't—I didn't know how to deal with it uh, until sort of time passed. And now you just sort of begin to say, "I mean, think of all the self-inflicted damage um, that he has brought upon himself. That is the fault of nobody, you know." And I don't know what the circumstances are here. Maybe a full exoneration is possible. Seems deeply unlikely, but I suppose stranger things have happened too. Nevertheless, man, it just feels like to me, no matter what whether there's a lengthy suspension or whether there is not, there is now going to be extraordinary amounts of doubt about uh, the validity of that record, which is really, you know, as close to pristine as you're going to get in MMA. And that is a not an insignificant amount of damage. Um, so we'll see what kind of suspension he gets. But this, to wrap up on the question, I don't think... I don't want to minimize the nature of the lengthy suspension. It might be significant, and that can do real damage to his career. But we should be prepared for a scenario where, even if he doesn't get a lengthy suspension, there is irreparable harm that has happened. I think that's the sort of position that we're in. And it is crazy. Crazy. I thought this week could not get crazier, and here we are talking about this. I mean, it was all any of us could talk about yesterday, and you know, we're in the middle of this madness. And think about how big the news has to be for that to happen. Insane. And what does this do to Daniel Cormier? Is he now the greatest of all time? 
is he going to get his title back? How are people going to view those that lost to him now, or the 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 loss to Jones now? Two of them. Uh, are those going to count in people's eyes? What's his legacy going to be? I mean, this is it's completely insane. So we still need to hear exactly what it is that he popped for. We need to see what he's going to face in terms of suspension. But I think the thing we can begin to wrestle with is absent a complete and total exoneration, which is possible but unlikely. Uh, there is a certain amount of reputational damage. You might think of his character or not, but about what it means for his resume already baked in. Like, there's nothing you can do about that now. Right? Uh, that's already there. And an exoneration might be able to keep you competing in the octagon, but it will not silence what could be inevitably widespread belief of uh, you know, disreputable behavior in terms of performance and drug use. Someone says, and not me, in response to this, career over. Hiding under the cage, popping for estrogen blockers, having suspect uh, TE ratios, testosterone to testosterone ratios, coke, alcohol, and weed benches, flagrant disregard for road laws. The writing was always on the wall. Before he failed both tests and after the suspect TE readings, stories of him hiding under the cage, I already believed he was using just, excuse me, this last test just confirmed what I already had accepted. Jones never fights again, this person says. What a waste. Yeah, I don't know what to say to that. Can I say that's wrong? You know, can I say that's wrong? I don't know. I don't know that I can. I don't know that I can say that's wrong. You know, never fights again. I don't know. Man, this is the conversation we're having. Does he fight again? Hey, here comes Casey. Casey, you want to say hi on my live chat? Here we go. This is Casey, y'all. This is the videographer for MMA fighting. Say hi, dude. Hello, dude. <laughs> That's the guy who's the magic man with uh, Ariel and uh, all the video you see in MMA fighting. He's a good dude. He's got terrible taste in music, but he's a good dude. All right. Um, okay. Someone writes, only a CM Punk headliner can save UFC 218 now. I'm not sure that's wrong. Hey, look at this. It's Mark Romani. Mark, say hi on my live chat. Say hi. There we go. We're doing, where am I going? Where am I going to be? We're, we're playing games. Say hi. Hey, guys. Hey, why don't you give a John Jones reaction? A John, wow, putting me on the spot. Okay, how about this? John Jones How about reaction? this? Here, read, read this question. Just the second part. Yeah. If John is given a multi-year suspension, what does this mean yeah. for his legacy? I mean, I think that's a, a relatively simple question. I mean, it... Is it? Two, yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> of course his legacy is going to be tarnished. I think you have to call into question if the adjudication process comes back that he did knowingly take a performance-enhancing drug. I think that his legacy is tarnished. You have to call into question everything that he's done, all of his accomplishments, because a lot of his fights happened in, in the steroid era in MMA. You know, there wasn't a lot of testing at that time. And who knows what kind of testing that, that he had when he was in... Toronto and New Jersey and all of these places that, that he won fights, but I'm not ready to say any of that until this process is over, until we know, you know, for sure, as much as we can know about, about what actually happened. I think, just to wrap this up, I think even if he even moderately exon exonerates himself, the lingering doubt now is partly just baked in. 
Like even if the even yeah. if the arbitration panel is like, well, we don't really know here's suspension. Too late. Too late for the general public. Yeah. Maybe me and you will be more forgiving or whatever, but I think I, the general public won't. I actually just my immediate feeling is like. We know that he, I mean, he's taken seven tests in 2017, right? Yeah. And he, and he passed all of them except for this last one, which was the day of weigh-ins. It just doesn't make sense to me that he would take something in between his last thing, uh, out of competition test and, and the fight night test because everyone knows the fight night test is coming, right? That's the one that you can, you can, you can, you can pencil that right in, right. that you're going to be testing on fight night or the, or the day of weigh-ins in competition at some point. So it just doesn't make sense to me that he would pass all those tests. He would be clean seven times this year. And then all of a sudden, test that he knew what was coming, knew was coming in competition, he would fail. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I haven't, I haven't spoken to anyone on, on Jones' side, but that, that strikes me as very strange. I mean, Jones is a reckless guy, but he's not a dumb guy. I think, I think if he took something knowingly, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll wait for the playoff, but it just, it just seems strange. Strange is a good word. That's Mark Ramondi. Follow his work. All right. Bro, I'm picking up like six seats here. I apologize. Sorry about that. Here, I can move this stuff. Uh, okay. All right, all right. Someone says, Luke, the video, oh yeah, the scrum. Yeah. Uh, someone says, as far as I've heard, the Terrinaball thing has only been reported by TMZ, who we all know is far from an official source, so I'm gonna hold out on this one until the official details come out. It just doesn't make sense that he would fall, fail for a steroid, cocaine, weed, or another estrogen blocker I could see, but steroids just doesn't make sense to me. Really hope this is just a USADA F up. I don't think so. I mean, it could be some other kind of F up, but I don't know if it's a USADA one. Uh, to me, it looks like a good anabol to use with MMA fighters if it wasn't for USADA. In the 1990s, Terinabol was one of the key anabolic steroids utilized by East Germany in their infamous state sponsored doping program. But taking it so close to a fight doesn't make any sense, not to me anyway, unlikely but possible. Circumstance opens up the possibility for this to be a setup. Thoughts on that? I saw that one of his teammates thinks it's a setup. Maybe. Again, let's just see what the evidence says. You know. Uh, Mighty Mouse Pound for Pound number one and GOAT. GSP has Vaseline HGH. There's no evidence of the latter, but certainly the Vaseline gate thing. Uh, Silva Jones PEDs. Who's the longest, most dominant champ who was actually tested and never caught cheated? Someone says Fedor. <laughs> be fatal. DC is another one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to. GSP only had the somewhat lax cornering in terms of the application of Vaseline. So I don't know if that's really the issue. Um, who was the longest, most dominant champ who was actually tested and never caught? I don't know. It's. It, let's just say this is glad with DC for now. As an expansion question, if this failed sample is confirmed by the second test, does it make you view Jones's failed test at 200 differently? Just to say, do you still think it was the famous dick pills, or do you now think there might have been more to it then? Also, do you think that now there was something to both Gus's and DC's comments on Jones being on something, or does it still feel slightly like sour grapes talking? It's just hard to know what's up and down at this point. You know, as, as, as Mark put it, why would you take something when you know that that test is coming? Or maybe he took something before that and it really showed up at that point. Hard to say exactly. Uh, or again, maybe he was sabotaged. I, I don't. I don't. Without more information about what it was and how much of it there was and whether there was other circumstances, it's a little hard to draw super firm conclusions. Um, and I take Usada's findings about 
what happened with John at USC 200 for what they are, that he was negligent, but it's not. Usada's basic conclusion was that whatever John did was incredibly negligent, and this explanation he gives is not great but plausible, and that they don't really know for certain if there's a lot of evidence, evidence, evidence to point to a some kind of nefarious use of PED. So just maybe that's true, but they don't have evidence for it. It's, it's not what you believe, it's what you can prove. And what they could prove, based on his defense and the series of other facts, was that uh, there is a argument he made that would allow you to believe that there was some plausible deniability there. But that even if that's the case, an extraordinary amount of negligence on top of that. We, we don't have a lot of information about this. Again, TMZ reported it was Torino Ball. No one else has. And Jeff Nowitzki wouldn't comment. So we got to see what else, if that's true. We got to see um, what else they say. We got to see what evidence he provides. Let's go from there. But this is my point. Whether or not he will be able to convince USADA of some kind of mitigating circumstance or achieve full exoneration is the perception about what happened at 200 or comments by Jones, excuse me, by Gustafson or DC. Those are now more greatly magnified. Do I blame an opponent for wondering about that now? I certainly do not. Um, is it sour grapes? I don't know. It's a lot of competition. I mean, these guys are all literally fighting each other. I don't know that I'm too hard on a a fighter who lost to a guy who now has a bit of this kind of a reputation. So, and these questions swirling around him. So I don't know if I would call it sour grapes. I would just say, you know, <laughs> partly I would say natural speculation, you know. Um, it's just the crazy shit on earth. It's just the craziest thing on earth. Uh, what would be more shocking or devastating? If John popped during the fight week with the fight being canceled, but with DC remaining the rightful champ, or the way it happened now. I think it'd be more shocking if it happened the way it did at 200, right? Because remember, he was promoting that fight while he was still on suspension. So to be on suspension, to get off of it just in time to fight, and then to have the exact same thing happen that happened at 200, happen at USC 214, that would be very, very bad. That'd be incredibly, that'd be like comically inept, which now I don't think you could say is, the problem is that he's comically inept. But the problem now is that What are the facts of the case, and what does it say about his record of achievement? It leaves you at a loss for words. It really does. But I think I think if it had happened at two fourteen, the way it happened at two hundred, I think that would have been worse. That was that would that would just be, you know, not only are you doing all of these things, uh, but you're doing them in a way that is like, you know, the way a child would or something. All right. That's a good question. Uh, I should have asked this extra. I didn't think of it. She was. Uh, what's going on with Ronda Rousey and Usada? She was tested nine times in 2016. Has yet to be tested in 2017. What gives? She has not officially retired. So isn't she still in the testing pool? Yes. I fully understand that she has no fights booked and is likely not going to fight again. But I'm genuinely curious as to the process, uh, as, me, as to how the process works that she isn't being tested at all while USADA has no problems continuing to go after someone like Nick Diaz? That's a great question. That's a great question. Uh, I will ask the UFC this week. I will ask someone at USADA this week. It's a good, I, I don't know the answer to it. That's very fair inquiry.
Uh, okay, a few questions here. Will Nate Diaz walk out with Floyd? I doubt it. Over under, Connor lands 30 punches on Floyd. Over. Does Connor, do Connor and Floyd touch gloves? Sure. Does Maymac break the 5 million pay-per-view mark? No. No. But I'm not confident in saying no. Uh, okay. Uh-oh. My boss is hitting me up. What happened? Uh -huh. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's get back to this. Uh, UFC Bellator corporate diversity. Uh, this thought came into my head when seeing Dana White and Jeff Nowitzki together. UFC's roster of upper management seems to be very top-heavy with middle-aged white guys. Schaller was gone. Fertitta gone. White there. Cook gone. Zelaznik gone. Emmanuel Shelby. Are there any women people of color in top positions of UFC brass? Yes, the head of PR. Uh, Lene Breckenridge is an African-American lady. And there might be others, but that's off the top of my head. For sure her. Uh, is this a problem that Bellator suffers from also? Yes. Yeah, much worse than Bellator. But also Bellator has a much smaller staff. Furthermore, does it say anything about the organizations themselves and the problems they've had targeting African-American Hispanic demographics compared to boxing? Mm, I don't think that's the same issue. Um, whatever their issues are probably the ones that affect corporate America generally. I'd say the UFC is actually a lot better about it than they have been previously. They're pretty good about it now. Um, but I don't think it's the same issue in terms of attracting the fan base. Uh, for example, if you look at Showtime's PR staff, they're not here. I would show you if they're not here, but uh, it's a lot of uh, Latinos, but that's partly a, a job-related issue. You need people that can speak Spanish, given how much of your various stakeholders that you get involved with speak Spanish. So, and obviously you don't need to be Latino to speak Spanish, but a lot of them do. Um, but I don't know that they would have necessarily the same kind of outreach for, you know, if it wasn't for those kinds of needs. So I actually give the UFC a little more credit in that regard. Uh, all right. Ryan Sand retires from commentating. Look, I'm surprised to hear many people saying Stan was subpar commentator at best. Who the F said that? I thought he raised the standards for good color commentating. And it's one of the best out there. What are your feelings about Brian Stan's retirement and skills as a commentator? what you think his legacy will be. Who said he was substandard? Subpar. I mean, that's the most insane thing. <laughs> it's laughable. Brian Stan, I mean, do you want to talk about another loss? I mean, we could be in a week where Brian Stan leaves the sport, John Jones potentially faces a four-year suspension, and, you know, if something bad happens to Conor McGregor all in the same week, could go down as a historically bad week in MMA. But let's not jump to those conclusions yet. Um, okay, that is an insane thing to say. Brian Stan might be the best commentator that the UFC has ever had. Here's why. Um, what can I think, first of all, I think very highly of his ability. Uh, I think he has an ability to touch the casual fan in a way that no one else does. And so in that sense has a very, obviously a very high skill level, uh, but a very important, relatable skill set as well. Plus, he's a celebrity in his own right, which kind of matters. Um, obviously, he's incredibly good on camera, good on the microphone, good at improv. There's lots of things to like about Rogan's style. But I, I think, to me, Stan is the best 
because no one has that marriage between subject matter expertise and broadcasting polish as effortlessly as he does. Now, he does a ton of homework. So I use the word effortlessly in quotes here. It comes with a lot of effort. But what I can also say is he's a natural on the microphone. He is a natural on camera. Yes, he works at it. Yes, he practices. But it also comes with innate ability to communicate, to uh, express ideas clearly, to have them crystallized, organized in his mind, and deliver them to you. That is not an automatic thing. It's very, very difficult to do. When you add on top of that his expertise about the subject matter, about striking, about wrestling, about jujitsu, at least as it relates to MMA and strategy and how things worked and why they, you know, why it was successful, why it wasn't, and that combination together with that look, you know, the greatest living American, as John Anna called him, and um, this reputational halo that he put over MMA and the sport generally, that is going to be a very hard guy to replace because you can find people with great broadcasting skills. There's plenty out there. And look, Dominic Cruz has probably just as good, if not better, analysis. So you can find guys with great analysis, but it's that combination of the two while being something of a model citizen for the community and for that brand. Um, and, you know, it's hard to find guys who can do 26 weekends a year. But who has done national level or international level commentary, color commentary, in MMA, who is that available and is as good as Brian Stan? Nobody. No one that comes to mind anyway. But there might be somebody out there who I don't know about who hasn't really had a chance to spread their wings, but you get the idea. This is not an automatic thing. So, so the notion that he is subpar is totally ridiculous. Um, what else does this say here? His retirement is an absolute blow to the sport. I mean, just think about Brian Stan's legacy, man. At every stage, there was an, a remarkable degree of professionalism and a testament to what it means to have a real work ethic and to have values clearly defined. Guy goes to the Naval Academy, which is a prestigious uh, military and academic institution. It's very, very difficult to get into, right? Goes there succeeds there. I don't know if you guys know this. If you're in the Naval Academy, you don't get to just join the Marine Corps as an officer. Only the top of the class get the choice to go Marine officer. You have to excel at the Naval Academy to get even that opportunity, which he got. Meanwhile, also played uh, Division One football with them. I don't think he was a star on the team, but that's still a pretty remarkable degree of athletic achievement by the average person's standard. Then he goes to the theater of war and is literally decorated for valor and skill in the battlefield. Then leaves that and wins a title in the WEC. Didn't win one in the UFC, but given the short amount of time he had to progress, made absolutely incredible strides. Right, Worked his tail off to get where he was. Goes into the nonprofit world and creates an organization that benefits uh, not merely veterans, this incredibly needy group, but does so in a way where the, the organization explodes in size, scale, and operations. Then <laughs> goes into commentary uh, and shows <clears throat> immediate scale level and then puts in work whether it was a UFC pay-per-view or UFC bumfuck nowhere. He did his homework. He had something interesting or friendly even 
to say about every fighter who was on that card. Every time. Never missed a beat. He did two cards back-to-back. -back. I think it was the Gaethje card, the Gaethje Johnson card, and the one the day after. He did it back-to-back. -back. Uh, before you, I think you'll see 213, if I'm not mistaken, without missing a beat. This is a guy, the common strain in his life is professional excellence, and probably personal excellence as well. I don't know enough about him to say, you know, but it's like as a beyond that, but I mean, if there is someone whose future is not in doubt, who will be successful no matter where he goes, it is Brian Stan. And MMA was lucky to have a guy like that. And the UFC was lucky to have a guy like that as long as we had him. There will not be many Brian Stans that you ever meet in your life, much less come through mixed martial arts. A achiever, uh, a patriot, um, you know, obviously a, a father and a husband and all those things as well. But a, a, a literal scholar and warrior, you know, he was going back to get his MBA at Northwestern. I mean, <laughs> just a, a, you know, when I call someone a born winner, I don't mean somebody who just achieves in spite of themselves. He achieves because he puts in the work and he keeps his head down and he stays quiet and just does it the right way. He does everything the right way, like a model citizen. Um, so you add all that in. Plus, he's good on the microphone. Plus, he knows MMA, and he can put them all together in a really polished, digestible broadcasting format. And people have the nerve to say that's subpar. These are insane people. These are insane. If it's if his commentary style is not to your liking, that's fine, totally fine. But by any reasonable measurement of skill in that profession, he's at the top, and he's walking away at the top. Uh, fines for PE has suggested a system wherein the opponent receives a percentage of a PED user's purse. Do you think such a system is warranted and or realistic? No and no. Um, it would, it would, uh, you actually saw the NOI talk about it last night. It was one of the points that didn't get a lot of attention, but I actually thought was more important. He's like, I've got to keep these guys moving. I've got to keep these fighters fighting. I've got to keep this in play. You've got to keep this machine running. And you're going to have a very hard time with, for guys to take fights with somebody if they feel like if they get busted for something, they're going to have to give up portions. Remember, how many guys have been exonerated after the fact from um, tainted supplements? And you can say whatever you think about that excuse. Answer the question. How many guys who have had adverse findings have ultimately been able to have suspensions put down or um, almost eliminated altogether? A bunch. A bunch. So... You would still get fined in a situation like that. That seems unreasonable uh, and a burden that I wouldn't expect any fighter to carry. It sounds good in theory. Here's, I think, the better answer. And this is the one I asked Dana White of last night. It's not just a matter of John Jones fighter. If when the let's let, USADA's process has got to work out, John's entitled to be processed, finding of the facts, and an examination of what they mean. After that is over, in addition to a potential title stripping, We'll see what happens with that. Would the UFC consider any additional fines or penalties beyond what USADA might do? And he said, yeah, it's possible. Not probable necessarily, but very possible. And I think that's the sweet spot there, is 
giving uh, latitude to the UFC to make those kinds of executive calls in a, you know, it puts too much faith in them, but I wouldn't want something to be automatic when something as complicated and as delicate and potentially ruinous as this, especially given all the reversals or mitigating circumstances that happen after the fact. I would want to see that played out a little bit. Brendan Schaub just walked in. Brendan. Hey, you want to say hi on my live chat? Yes. Real quick, just say hi. Say hi. There. Hello. There he is. Hello. Looking dapper. You oh, smell nice. Thanks, man. I'm trying. I'm trying to keep up with you, man. <laughs> we'll say hi later. My beard, I got a ways to go. I see that. But it gets a puberty, son. Yeah. <laughs> there he is. All right. Do for boxing. Oh, man, I should have asked about that last night. Oh, that's such a good question. Uh, we have not heard much about Zufa Boxing except for Dana and a few of Connor's team wearing the Zufa Boxing t-shirts. Do you think Zufa Boxing will become an entity? Uh, I do, but I need more information about that. Okay, uh, true-false, May Mac edition. All right, here we are. That is a terrible coffee. Mayweather versus McGregor uh, do not have a melee brawl before Saturday night. True. The pay-per-view floor, as Dana White stated to you, is three million minimum. True. I don't see any way this does less than three mil. I really don't. Nate Diaz walks out with Floyd Mayweather falls. Paulie Malinacci calls out Connor after the fight. You wrote irregardless of the result. Irregardless is not a word. Uh, so regardless of the result. I mean, hasn't he already called him out? Pretty sure he's already called him out. Uh, Zufa Boxing continues as a viable business entity promotion post May Mac. Demi Lovato <clears throat> warbles like a demented baboon, suffering a mini-stroke, attempting and failing to resurrect Whitney Houston whilst singing the national anthem. True. Good one. The fight goes the distance. I think true. John Jones's failed drug test is forgotten news in the mainstream come Saturday night. In the mainstream. False. Buried, maybe? But it'll be brought up again. Because he's got all this stuff that's going to happen for this. All these hearings, all this, you know, you know, whatever. So temporarily on the back burner, maybe, but it's going to flame up again. There is already a rematch clause in place should Floyd lose. I don't know. I'm going to guess probably true, but I don't know. Conor McGregor's next UFC fight is not for a title. False. Both fighters call their bluff, neither pushes the action, and both look to counter. False. Floyd Mayweather celebrates his victory should it come by embracing the Rainbow Nation and opening a boy collection. Probably false. Uh, okay. Billishaw versus Garbrandt. Hi, Luke. Talking to TJ, what are your expectations for this matchup? I haven't even, God, I haven't even thought about it. Who do you think is going to win and how? My gut says... Garbrandt, but I need to go back and watch that Dominic Cruz fight again. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing fight, but with everything going on this week, I'm a little bit distracted. I think probably you are too. Um, okay, good question. What's your take on steroids in MMA? Do you think they help? Yes. 
the fighters instantly become able to beat DC even though they struggle with LSP without steroids. So this is my issue with this steroids. As you guys know, I'm not nearly as a get or any kind of performance fitness drugs as maybe some other guys are. Um, but here's the problem: we just don't know a lot. Now we know uh, scientifically what terenabol or some other kind of drug uh, may do, but we don't have really any studies about. Um, like if you look in other sports like cycling or um, um, swimming or track and field there's a lot more measurement about what testing has done, what certain drugs do, about to what extent push performance limits that are relevant to the application of the sport they're in. Brad, do you guys remember this, that study came out and Lance said that said EPO is not that big a deal. Now there were some questions about it as to well how the study was conducted and what it meant for VO2 maximization and things like that. But it was real specific about what can it be measured and what does that mean for application in the sport itself? You know, we don't have any of that. We have this anecdotal stuff of, well, it it could, depending on what you take, it could be lean muscle mass that you know helps you heal from injuries. We don't really know. Um, we just say, well, it it just does those things. What does that mean? Like, we don't have a clear scientific sense of the actual benefit that's conferred upon them. Moreover, all the guys who got caught, a lot of them didn't. I mean, I don't think they're called performance enhancing drugs by accident. I think they work. But how do they work? To what extent? What's the full breadth of experience there? And I don't think we know the answer to that. Uh, and I know we don't know the answer to that because it hasn't been tested. It hasn't been measured. Like, who, who is the person that can tell you the answer to that? Show me the work. Like, it's not there. Does it reasonably stand out there that this stuff works? Yeah, of course. Fighters aren't taking it by accident. But um, people have made this argument that, you know, uh, and they look at the John Jones case, right? I mean, he finished Jenna Cormier in vicious fashion. It makes MMA more dangerous. But I spoke to Jeff Nowitzki yesterday, and he claims that USADA stuff is working. Now, this situation notwithstanding, forget the John Jones Cormier fight. If you believe USADA is working, that means there's less overall performance dancing drug use in the sport than there once was. Is there any indication in an aggregate sense that MMA is safer? Are there less injuries? Are there less knockouts? Is there less brain trauma? There might be. I'm not saying there's not. But A, it doesn't look like there is, uh, and B, um, if there is, no one's measured it. So we're kind of flying blind here. I think everyone wants to say steroids turn you into an, uh, a monster uh, who could run through the streets shirtless like Hulk from the Avengers and just mow down anyone in their way. I don't think, I don't think that's true. I don't think it makes MMA necessarily any more dangerous, at least not... Um, I mean, if you had rampant use, maybe. That's a little bit of a bottle on it. Um, you know, some kind of testing effort, so some guys will still use. My sense is that it doesn't make MMA more dangerous, but what it does do is it flips the odds for you and me. If you and I are relatively equal in scale, and you're not on anything, and I am, now becomes, you're going to suffer more damage, I'm not. But I don't know that it overall raises the level of damage that UFC fighters take in a calendar year. If there is, I would like to see the evidence because everyone's telling me USADA is working and I don't see any evidence that MMA is getting any better or in terms of uh, uh, less damage, physical damage. In fact, you can see the training methods and skill improvement um, might be the culprit there, but that's, I mean, that innovation is not going to go away. So the other factor you have there is I've often said I don't think MMA is really a sport. We treat it like a sport. Um, but... For all the arguments about why 
enforcement for PEDs doesn't work in other sports. And then there's these claims of, well, if, even if they don't work in other sports, you have to try them in MMA because of the potential inherent dangers. Uh, so you still have to try anyway. I don't buy that either. I think here's the issue for me. And so where I come down on this, I actually feel like the fitness world has it right. If you want to bodybuild, there's natural bodybuilding, and then there's bodybuilding. If you want to powerlift, there's natural powerlifting, and then there's the Reebok record breakers. Uh, weightlifting a little bit different because it's Olympic sanctioned, right? So they're just never going to deal with it, but they have segregated out. And a steroid league sounds kind of ridiculous, but the fitness world has already come to terms with it, you know? Uh, and you could say, well, even if you have a natural bodybuilding league or competitions, and then you have, you know, the Arnold Classic or whatever, Mr. Olympia, I think Mr. Olympia has a natural category within itself. Um, isn't this, can people still cheat in the natural one? Yeah, of course. I mean, people are going to cheat. It does not matter what you do. There's going to be some measure of cheating. But to me, the issue would be you'd be weeding out a lot of people who just want to take that stuff anyway. It's a lot less of a problem of enforcement in natural bodybuilding if there's an alternative for people who don't even want to be bothered with it. And so to me, <laughs> I don't want to say strike force. Is this is our strike force, uh, Bellator is necessarily the steroid league because they do have some measure of testing. They do a lot of shows in California. Andy Foster's out there trying to do something about it. But um, you know, you're seeing fighters a little bit older probably maybe do want to get back on TRT or something like that. Um, or maybe fighters who would just want to deal with commission regulation and some who want to go to UFC because they believe in anti-doping. I think you want to you want to give any athlete the choice. Here's an organization you can compete in where you're there are some limits on uh, use, and here's an organization where there are a ton of limits on use, um, and and then offer an alternative. And you can say, well, that's not viable, but I don't think long-term trying to enforce anti-doping through one organization is going to work. It doesn't matter if it's NFL, it doesn't matter if it's the Olympics. I mean, did you guys see the Icarus uh, documentary? You know, testing sometimes works. Testing works in MMA because guys are just bad at cheating. But testing at the upper level doesn't work because people just sort of circumvent the entire process generally. Um, so whether it's the Olympics, whether it's UFC, whether it's NFL or Major League Baseball or whatever, uh, I think athletes should have choices. I think that would be a go a long way to solving the problem. And the last thing I would say is we need to have some kind of conversation medicinally about updating the science. If you are in a sport, I mean, I'm watching Odell Beckham highlights. Look. You see Odell Beckham highlights over there on the TV. If you're in a sport like that or MMA where there is a 100% injury rate, um, there should be a conversation about what to what extent there is a medicinal case to help some of these guys out. You know, um, not with again any substance they want to take, but we have this sort of absolutist, totally zealot policy of you should be able to take nothing. Uh, and I don't think that's either realistic or humane. And I think it probably drives people to cheat who otherwise, uh, you know, don't want to take stuff to get lean muscle mass or whatever. They just want to be able to not be injured all the time. Uh, and I don't know what those parameters are. I'm merely suggesting that the taboo of that conversation should go away. If I was part of the NFLPA, I would look into what extent uh, the use of HGH would be allowed. I mean, the injury rates in that sport are I mean, these guys are getting into car crashes every Sunday, and they're expected to, you know, their, their policies aren't as harsh as the UFCs, but, you know, they're expected, in theory, to be on yogurt and tap, you know, and 
and, and tilapia it's, it just doesn't seem very realistic. Uh, so that, that's essentially my worldview, is we should be giving athletes a choice. But at the same time, as I said before, if you're an athlete who doesn't want to use, it's unethical to force them to use to compete. That's why you should have a choice, right? And if someone is electing not to use, and if someone else is electing not to use, and you use, that's cheating. Now, the question is, what can you do about that? I fundamentally believe, again, the fitness world basically gets it right. There should be choices. If you don't want to use, you shouldn't be forced to. And if you do, you should be allowed to with other people who also agree with that. Because I don't think they're just trying, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Trying um, this absolutist policy prohibition is going to work long term. At this point, are Dana and UFC secretly regretting that they brought in USADA? Again, here is my hunch, and I have some evidence to back this up. I don't think that they really care one way or the other. I'm not saying I don't know if they care about doping or whatever. I think what they're doing is trying to protect themselves in the event of catastrophic injury. In the event that something had happened to Daniel Cormier, God forbid. But in the event something had happened to him. And um, it turned out like it has been what happened with John. And let's say the facts after they all came in were that he had, you know, again, we'll see what they say, but in theory, it was proven that he negligently took, not negligently, like took it in a way that was uh, in keeping with someone who was trying to use on purpose. This would be very bad for the UFC. And having USADA there provides kind of not merely a cover, uh, but something of an insurance policy, something of a way to um, protect themselves in the event of that. Oh, there's Doug Gottlieb. Right there, see him? There's old Doug Gottlieb. Some of y'all get mad at him, too. He just walked by. Uh, does Jones deserve all the hate coming his way? In his case, isn't it always innocent until proven guilty, or is this case too extreme for sympathy? I don't know. You know, <laughs> I was nice to the guy that blew up in my face a little bit, so maybe I'm not the best one to answer this. Um, he is, look, he is entitled to due process. We can all agree that there's not all the facts in whether or not you really care about that in the end is up to you. Uh, and whether you think he's deserving of any sympathy is up to you. I, I can't make these calls for you guys. Um, sympathy, I don't know. Let's see what the facts come out in this particular situation. But when you add up the totality of his life uh, to this point in 30 years, he's gotten into a lot of situations that a lot of other people have not. Now, he's, been, he's had his own life in many ways, and I don't know that we would all navigate his life and make the choices that uh, he would make if we lived the same kind of uh, took the same kind of course. My only point being is um, on some things I do think he's entitled to sympathy and on some things when you just add the totality of mistakes yeah, that sympathy only goes so far. It's just I mean how many times whether it's personal misconduct or professional negligence you just say to a guy like you suck you're bad at risk management. You're just bad at risk management. Best case scenario You've done everything right, at least in your mind. You've not tried to do anything bad, and you've still not done a good job of that. You know, that's that's best case scenario. Uh, so, you know, whether he's up deserving of sympathy, not my call. That's your call. I can't make that, that judgment call for you. Uh, and innocent until proven guilty. That's technically true right now. 
you have to see what happens. But as I mentioned before, whatever happens with the legal framework in place, that's got nothing to do ultimately with how you, in the end, might feel about it, what you might say about it when it's all over. Um, it's just so many bumps in the road for such a short period of time with such incredible achievement. Uh, what is this one? Oh, for crying out loud. Uh, well, I loved Ariel's sit-down with Connor last week. I thought it was quite weak for Ariel. I'm not asking him about his half-black comment and his message to black women. They hardly talked about that. Uh, other than the Connor said he's not racist and done. Haven't y'all had enough of that? Does anyone does anyone fundamentally believe he's racist? I don't. Do you? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Like, aren't you tired of talking about this? I mean, maybe Floyd thinks that. I don't know. But do you think that? I don't think that. Uh, and so I think getting him to address it and move on is exactly what's needed, to dwell on this. You know, look, I thought he uh, overstepped his boundaries and obviously jacked that up in Brooklyn that night. I was there. And the whole thing was weird and it sucked. But he has, A, apologized for it, and B, said he wants to move on and C, is, is reiterated a number of times that it was, you know, it just didn't get out right. And it's okay. I, I'm perfectly willing to believe that. In some kind of, oh my God, I can't, I can't sleep at night because I'm thinking about Connor saying he's half black from the waist down. I mean, you know, let's just be adults about this. The guy made a mistake. He hasn't repeated it since. Let's just move on. Seriously. Here we go. McGregor's half black comment was to pretend he had a large dong. No real call for analysis or any in-depth journalism. It's just a bad joke. Agreed. Totally agree. All right. Is everyone drinking Connor Kool-Aid? Are we hearing the same type of hyperbole that was present when Ronda was champion, such as fans using the Alvarez fight as an example of Connor's elite boxing skills? No, I don't think so. Um, number one, the odds at the time for any of the Ronda fights had her as a pronounced... Uh-oh. What do we have here? Oh, okay. Uh, we had pronounced... Uh, let me look at those odds. Let's go to bestfightodds.com. And let's see what the odds were when Ronda fought all those times because she was the, as I recall, the prohibitive favorite. Yeah, Ronda Rousey. Yeah, Ronda Rousey, Beshkohea, she was a minus 2,000 favorite. Against home, 100. Against Amanda Nunes, minus 225. She was the favorite each time. Connor's not the favorite. He is the uh, underdog. Now, he might be the underdog in a way where you might think he deserves to be, you know, whatever, plus 2,000. Or maybe not. I'm just pointing out he is the underdog. With Rousey, she was always in this, like, sort of, you know, great white shark, terminator, predator, apex predator position. That's not the one Connor's. And moreover, part of the narrative of this fight is how the boxing world, and to some extent the MMA world, but I think we can all agree predominantly the boxing world, um, has mocked him. Not merely for his open workout noodle arm thing or the uppercuts to the same side, right? You know, you go feet one way and throw an uppercut on this side and feet this way and throw an uppercut on this side. And they were mocking all of that. And he's, you know, part of this is he's going to make everyone in the boxing world eat, eat their uh, words, maybe to some extent in the MMA world too. Uh, I don't think the MMA world is nearly as down as boxing skills as the, the boxing world is. But um, so part of this is like, you know, 
no one is giving him a chance, absent his uh, hardcore but rather expansive fan base. So it's a bit of the people versus the institution or even the elites to an extent. That's really kind of what this is about. Um, so no, I don't think it's the same thing because with Rhonda, it was like there was this general consensus from just about everyone except Holly and her camp that she was going to win. Here you have a sort of a mix. You have, number one, Connor's the underdog, not the favorite. And two, um, I think that because it's two sports crossing, you're getting two different perspectives on them. You're getting, the, as I mentioned, the boxing perspective, which is not very charitable, but you're also getting the MMA perspective, which is a lot more charitable. Again, my prediction is Floyd probably by decision, but I do expect those first four to six rounds to be interesting. Will Connor win them? I don't know. Will he knock Floyd down? I don't know, but I'm going to keep my eyes peeled because I do think you're going to see something unique in those first two to four, maybe even six rounds. Now, if the fight is past that, um, I expect at that point for Floyd to step on the gas. That's just what he does in every one. By, by six rounds, he's basically got you figured out. You know, um, If Floyd can be pushed to later rounds, it's fine. But to answer the question, no. I mean, yes, are certain people saying that Connor's going to do X and Connor's going to do Y? They have you know suspect arguments for it? Yeah, sure, of course. Um, the biggest issue for me, the only thing of this fight that I haven't really enjoyed is... Do you need your bag? Right, I'll get it. Yeah. Are oh, you going to interrupt my chat again, huh? Not, not going downstairs. Look at... <laughs> Here you go, man. There you are. Sorry about that. That's hilarious. Um, the issue for me is that the people who you want to call, if you want to pick Connor, I, mean, I don't agree, but I, okay, fine. But just have an argument for it. The only thing I object to, and I'm not saying it's prevalent in terms of people who have reasonable opinions about it, but I've seen it a lot, uh, or not enough, which is, if Floyd's going to win, they'll give you a boxing argument for it. And not merely, hey, he's better at boxing. They'll actually give you arguments about it. What about his jab to the body and his ability to fight off the ropes and blah, 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 blah. You saw my Monday morning analyst. There's a lot of good arguments for both guys in there. I hoped uh, you thought. But you're seeing from Connor, you're seeing, oh, man, he's got that aura. He just sees these things. You know, that's not a boxing argument. It's not. Let's, you know, have an argument for him if you're picking him say, hey, I do think he's going to be fighting a super long range, and I do think Floyd's aged, and I do think Connor's going to be able to touch Floyd a lot more than he thinks and wear him down. And by the time Floyd makes adjustments, he might make them and he might last, but he'll have been too late. Connor might win seven rounds, you know, that kind of thing. Like, this is a boxing match. Make a boxing argument. That's the only thing that I think I'm asking. Uh, Maynack undercard. Why is no one talking about it? Which fight in the undercard are you looking forward to the most? Uh, no one is talking about it because no one cares. And I'm not looking forward to any of them because I don't care. And I'm not going to pretend that I care. It's just a bunch of Floyd's guys. Javante Davis is good, but uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. I legitimately do not care. And even on the Maynack undercard, you had Lomachenko and uh, Terremoto fighting, but they were fighting against people who were like badly outmatched. So I don't, I just, I just don't, I don't care. Jack Hermanson's ground and pound. I haven't done any in-depth studying of it, but I mentioned on my last Monday morning analyst, how powerful he is. Like, he's he's got quick hips. Um, 
He's got sort of slow body movement, but like quick limb movement, and he appears to be incredibly strong for his size. But I haven't done any in-depth studying of his um, of his ground and pound. But I'll look into it because I, I you know, he definitely made me a believer in his last fight. A DC's legacy, Luke. Would would uh, will this latest John Jones debacle finally get people to respect DC more and not call him a paper champion? Well, they shouldn't have been doing it before. I don't know what they're going to do. Again, let's see what the findings turn out to be. But one of the interesting parts about the John stuff in the last fight was that the he finally had the crowd at his at his back. You know, um, I was at that press conference. I was at the press conference. They were cheering for him. You know, big time on fight night. They were cheering for him. There were smatterings of booze, but the big takeaway from that fight in terms of the pre-fight stuff was just how much he was adored, just how much he was loved, and in a way that I hadn't seen in a lot of other uh, John fights, at least prior to all of his various indiscretions, maybe at the Rampage fight or something like that, you could say that, but or even the, well, even less so the Evans fight, it was pretty mixed. Um, but if they, it felt like they had come home a little bit, that you know that he had served out this punishment, that he had gone on this journey as an adult to a position where they could finally let themselves be fans of this guy. Um, and I don't think they hated DC necessarily, but that was a, that was a sea change for them. It took them a long time to come to that position, given everything that had happened. And even if, again, he exonerates himself, are they emotionally going to be able to let themselves do that again? Maybe. Sports is an endlessly forgiving enterprise. It's entirely possible, but I kind of feel like that, again, there's some baked-in damage there that some kind of mitigating or exonerating circumstance won't, won't altogether fix. Um, let's just see what happens with USADA and whether the title is stripped or not. It's just hard for a guy to get the respect he deserved when he got viciously KO'd in the last fight, and it's harder still when... That, yeah, only two losses to the same guy. It, it's just—it's going to entirely depend on to what extent John suffers reputational jam, damage in this uh, ordeal. You know, really is going to depend on that. If it is enough reputational damage, such that the bestowing of the title back to uh, Daniel—if that happens—is seen as some kind of rightful return of the crown, right? And ultimately, you guys are going to be the ones that decide that, not us then I think opinions will about his legacy and about his ability will finally shift. It's just, it's going to be depend entirely what happens with John here. Uh, DC versus Ozdemir versus Gus. Which fight would you prefer to watch? And will this be for a vacant belt and will it add to DC's title defense record? Hell, it's hard to go wrong with either of them. I'd be happy to see a Gus rematch and Ozdemir, or Ozdemir, excuse me, is a bad motherfucker. So, sure. <laughs> Either one of those would be great. No issue. All right. You guys are just trying to get me in trouble here. Uh, Jones and pro grappling. Right now it doesn't look good for Jones. Assuming he does get a four-year suspension, do you think he would switch to pro grappling? And if so, is that a move that would help push pro grappling more into the mainstream? Hey, you turned this off. Did you turn this off? Yeah, my computer went. My light went off. Did you hit the power cord? No. Is this one still? Yeah, this one's still good. Way to go, Casey. 
uh, would help push pro grappling more into the mainstream and make something guys can earn a living from. Uh, Keenan Cornelius has talked about this at length, and I even had uh, what you call it on the show, um, Gary Tonin. And Gary Tonin has talked about it at length as well, where uh, the top 1% of 1% can make money doing it. Maybe John is that guy, but I don't, I don't think he has Keenan Cornelius or Gary Tonin level skill in that particular department to do it. Right? I mean, um, obviously he's very good on the ground. He's like, well, you know, he did it to Vitor Belfort and everything like that. And it's fine, but that's not, uh, that's MMA jiu-jitsu. That's not jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu where positions are different, rules are different, body types are different. You know, um, I don't, obviously he would have, you know, a wrestling advantage. He's got a limb advantage, but that's completely negated in the gi. So if you want to go that direction, and even if not, guys just pull guard. Like it, it's completely different. Could he, what, what's his, what's his response to Baron Bolos, you know? What's his response to single leg X to, uh, you know, a knee bar attack? Or, you know, it's, it's a very much more sophisticated, entirely different game. Um, so if you got the right opponents and, you know, the right opportunities, I'm sure he could make some money, but it would be nothing compared to what he made in MMA. And I don't really know that that would reasonably, it's just not what he's best at. People are going to be like clamoring eventually to see six, seven, eight, nine, ten of these kinds of bouts. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, does race play into the selling of Maymac? This is the selling of every fight. Do you believe that race plays a factor in selling this fight? Here we go. Last one for you, Mark. Come here. Because everyone's going to get mad at me for my answer, and I want yeah. to see I'm not alone. Here we go. Ready? Does race play into the selling of May Mac? Do you believe that race plays a factor in selling this fight? Does having a white guy represent MMA and a black guy representing boxing add to the intrigue interest of this fight for some people? It's a pretty obvious oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I think I would like, I think I would like Casey. Can Casey answer this? Casey, you want to answer it? Yes and no question. Hell yeah. Yeah, of course. It, it does, it does yeah. factor in. I mean, it's an uncomfortable topic. But, uh, of course, you walk, you walk around. Let's do, let's do a survey and ask who you're rooting for. Yeah, yeah. It's going to fall heavily along racial lines. It always does. It's it, the it fight does. game for crying out loud. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a long-standing tradition in you know, boxing, like it or not. I mean, I, I don't love it. I don't think uh, I, I'd rather not write about that kind of thing uh, being part of the promotion. But it has been part of the promotion. I mean, let's let's face it. It's been a big part of the promotion of this fight. Yeah, just if you go if you if you look at the demographics at a big boxing match versus a big MMA match, it's obvious. Right. Yeah. And also, it's a, yeah. it, it, there's national divisions, all kinds of tribal divisions. People have a preference for sameness, yeah. whether that's good or bad. It's true, and if people are fighting, literally, they're just going to fall along tribal lines. I'm thing is, it's the worst thing. I mean, like, if I see two two donks fighting, but one's a Japanese fighter, I'm like, I'm probably with the Japanese guy. <laughs> it's a bit racist. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> so there you have it, folks. That ain't just me. Uh, because boxing used to be, and still kind of is, Latino black dominant sport. MMA back in the day was a bunch of tatted up white guys hugging each other. According to guys like Arrow, Mayweather, it's Bella. Yeah, who cares what they think? And might some of the comments made on this world tour add to the narrative? Yeah, of course. Of course, y'all. It's part of the game. Um, what super fight are you more interested in seeing? Good question. If Nunez beats Shevchenko, we could have Amanda versus Cyborg for the 145 pound belt. Or if Shevchenko beats Nunez, we could have Joanna versus Shevchenko for the 125 pound belt. Number two, Shevchenko versus Joanna. Joanna. That's the that's the primo one right there. They've got a rivalry from Muay Thai. Uh, they're both incredible strikers. I mean, Amanda is too, but there's history there. Um, it just feels like on paper a really interesting technical matchup. You know, different kinds of strikers. If you guys saw, by the way, 
uh, the Monday Morning Analyst. I had Stephen Wright on from War Room MMA. A lot of people don't know about Stephen Wright, man. I'm telling you, that guy is an incredible analyst. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, here we are. There we are. He's an incredible analyst. And um, he has talked a lot about, uh, like, Shevchenko's background and Joanna's background and how their fights went in Muay Thai. He knows a lot about it. And when I spoke to him about it, he just, like, got me super excited about what those fights could look like and how technical they could be. Because, look, Amanda versus Cyborg would be an amazing fight. These are high-level strikers, and I have utmost respect for them. But I don't think a lot – and he saw it a little bit with Joanna versus Kovalkiewicz. But I don't feel like there's been a lot of women's fights where there's been um, there's been some or it's been one-sided. But there's not been one where both competitors have a super high pedigree and then bring that to life, not merely from their old sports but into MMA and mix that together well. Um, and I just feel like you, you women's MMA and MMA generally would benefit from having those kinds of contests. The, 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 and then you add in the history and the narrative there, it's – can't miss, you know. Absolutely can't miss. When does size triumph over skill? When the size is big enough for the skill not to matter. And it's sort of an obvious way to put it, but uh, oh, I like this question. Hi Luke. After John made his disdain what the stain wrong. Uh, John has made his disdain for you known at the press conference. How much did you pay USADA to get your sweet revenge? LOL. Jokes as awesome. I don't care. You, I, you guys care about what happened at that press conference more than me. Trust me. He ain't the first fighter that's been mad at me, and he ain't the last. Uh, and I'm also not the only one he wouldn't talk to that week. There were a couple of reporters he refused to speak to. If I had never asked him that at that press conference, y'all would never have known. Uh, and that's fine. He said, I don't really give a damn. It doesn't change the way I do my job. You can see I'm going to say the things I'm going to say. He's probably mad about this. And if he's mad about this, boy, he's going to be real mad about what everyone else says. It's, I don't care. I, I'm doing my job. And my job is to do exactly this. If he likes it, great. Awesome. Fighters out there like it, sweet. I'm not out here to be your enemy. But I'm not out here to be your PR guy either. If you don't like it, okay. I can totally live with that. I've got a job to do. So... Like it or don't like it, it's what I'm gonna do. But I don't take I don't take pleasure in what's happening to him. It's not good for me. It's not good for you. It's not good for the sport. It's not good for John. It's not good for his family. Like who wins here? I guess the cause of anti-doping, provided it's determined he did something incredibly nefarious. Okay, congrats. But all I see is tragedy. Uh, there's no winner here. You know, or maybe DC in some sense, but I, does he sound like he feels like a big winner? You know, it's it's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible for all the parties involved. I would hope you could agree with that. I don't. I have to. Whatever a fighter's opinions about me, I have to remain as as reasonably neutral as I can. I don't take pleasure in what happened to John. Uh, if you do, you have a right as a fan to do that. I don't have that luxury, so I don't ever try to do that. But I have a responsibility to call it as I see it, whether that's right or that's wrong. But that's all I can do. But no, people, I got a bunch of tweets yesterday being like, I bet you love this. I don't love it at all. It's, te it's terrible. You know, this is, this is not good. It's not good for his life. It's not good for MA. It's not good for the use of a heavyweight division. Yeah, I'm sure it's messing with Daniel Cormier's head. Everything about this sucks. 
why would I be happy about this? Because in public, be petty with me. I don't care. It's not my, I, I don't, my job is not to squabble with fighters and get into some kind of loser pissing contest with them. And it's also not my job to back down because a grown man doesn't like my opinion. You don't like my opinion? Don't like my opinion. It's not going to change. So, you know, I know people are all like, oh my God, this must be the greatest day of your life. No, no, it's not. It sucks. And I don't need someone else's misfortunes to make me feel good, especially somebody who doesn't like me. I don't, I don't take it like that. Uh, and if you want to be in this job, I would highly recommend you do the same thing. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of real bad days. All right, it's 2.15. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. I'm at L. Thomas News. Ah. This thing keeps shutting off. Sorry about this, y'all. This thing keeps shutting off. I don't know what's wrong. I'm at L. Thomas News uh, on Twitter, and you can use the hashtag uh, chat rappers, and I'll answer questions on Twitter now. Okay. What are, what are some of your favorite Diaz Brothers quotes? All the same ones you like. I don't know if I have any ones beyond that. How busy is Vegas in general so far? I have to say, I got off the plane, and man, immediately, immediately, you can see signage everywhere, and the cab drivers are talking about it, and my, look at my hair. You guys haven't seen this. This is my room key. Yeah? I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, and this tent is huge, and like everyone's asking about it. And I saw a bunch of fight fans check in at the hotel. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. So it's there's definite, absolute buzz. It's a little quiet in here, surprisingly. But uh, if Jones has a multi, excuse me, if Jones has a multi-year Utah suspension and cannot fight with the UFC, can he sign a contract with Bellator and fight there? No. With the potential loss of Jones, what is the biggest fight the UFC can make without Connor? Jesus, I guess they could still bring back Brock Lesnar in some kind of way. Um, Kane Stipe is big. Um, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. That's that's a great question because all of them were going to be with him, and now I don't know what it's going to be. What are your three favorite Star Wars films? Uh the middle three. What do you think will be the most viral or memeable thing from the main event this weekend? The face of the loser at the end, right after the fight's over. The face of the loser. How much of a factor will TJ's variety of strikes give Cody trouble as compared to Cruz's WrestleBox game? Provided he can cut angles and get off the center line, it could be a lot. That's a big if. Aside from the May Mac main event, what other fights on the card are interesting? None of them. Watch Bellator 182 instead. Does DC have grounds to sue John Jones? I don't know. It's a question for Eric McGracken or, or um, MMA Analytics. I, I don't know the answer to that. Luke, did you use the reverse hyper machine when you were having back problems? What are your thoughts on this machine? It's a lifesaver. The reverse hyper, if you've never used it, so if you, if you go to most gyms, you're, you have to get on a machine, and it's sort of like it's set at an angle, and you put your feet in, and then your lower body rotates up and down, and you squeeze your, it's for your lower back. Reverse hyper does the opposite. You lay over a table, and then you bring your, the rest of your body up. Uh, Louis Simmons from Westside Barbell invented it to heal his back, 
And um, I've had a lot of impingement issues in my back from improper form over the years. Uh, and the reverse hyper is a, is a goddamn miracle. If, you, if your gym has one, your gym is awesome. Reverse hypers all the way. Describe your perfect sandwich, the one I'm about to eat. Do you cut John Jones after his suspension? No. What is your take on John on Jones's former room teammate, Colby Covington? Saying he isn't surprised Jones failed another test. Uh, I haven't seen that, so I don't know. But I'm a I'll reserve judgment on. I'll reserve judgment from uh, Mr. Covington's uh, lack of surprise for now. Am I wrong to feel that hashtag Paulygate is a ruse? Not a ruse. Think about if you're Paulie. Paulie had some big fights in his time, but he lost all the big ones. Right? Look at his record. He beat some good. No, I'm saying he didn't beat good fighters. He beat good fighters. But the biggest names, he lost to them, you know, um, for the most part. Um, and so. Now he's got the biggest fighter in MMA beefing with him. This is like, this is a dream come true for Paulie. You know, one of the two biggest names in all of combat sports, maybe your opinion is the biggest name, is beefing with him. <laughs> this, is, this is great for his career. So is it a ruse? No. Is Paulie, God damn it. Is Paulie, is Paulie rubbing it in? Probably. You know, probably. Probably is. But it's not a ruse. Um, how many fights would Connor have to have in the UFC to make the same money as a fight with Malinaji? Two, three. Give your percentage chance that Jones was framed. I mean, I don't know what the answer is. You're asking my hunch? Zero. Uh, is this the most high-profile case of PED use in MMA? Well, in terms of consistently being on the wrong end of the media uh, examination. So not this one instance, but like the number of instances that he's had. It's, it's up there for MMA. I mean, certainly not in sports altogether, right? I mean, but in MMA maybe. How does Casey keep that stash so badass practice? Uh, what happened with the belt? John has not been stripped yet. There's, they they have not stripped him yet. So uh, we're just told that there's a process. We don't know exactly what that process is, but it'll play out, and then we'll go from there. What kind of phone was your first cell phone? Flip phone. I don't know. What's up? Chris Eubank? Oh, senior? We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Um, When will John's victory be declared a no contest or has it already? Uh, that's up to Andy Foster, who I think is, uh, because the fight took place in California, he's the head of the commission there. I think he's looking into it. So, but I don't know what the answer is just yet. Do you foresee any changes to McGregor's MMA game having over a year off and primarily training boxing? Um, I actually asked Alistair Overing about this. His concern was interesting. He actually thinks that if McGregor wins, it's not that big of a surprise. I mean, he's still versus Mayweather, but he's like, eh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be that surprised to see. He only said, if you're going to go back to MMA, don't do what he did, which is he basically gave two years to kickboxing, and he said that that made getting back into MMA a lot harder than it needed to be. He says if you're out about a year from MMA, it's probably no big deal. So if it's a year, if Alistair's right, 
no big deal. But something to keep in mind. Um, thoughts on Machida versus Brunson. There you go, Machida, back from the dumbest suspension in the history of sports. Will it last five rounds? No. Who wins? I mean, the argument is either Machida got old or Machida got refreshed from the time off. I'm going to say refreshed, but also old, but refreshed and more than old. Uh, I'm poorly fatigued, Luke. Even if Connor wins or does okay, I don't want to see those two fight. I'm with you. I'm with you. If, if Connor wins or loses, whatever, and he decides to eventually go back to, okay, if Connor loses but doesn't lose bad, why would you want to see him fight Paulie next? You know what I mean? You could say, well, look, it's a bigger fight. It is a bigger fight. Why do you care? You don't have to, you have to put, you, you at me, you and me, we have to pay Connor to fight again. Okay? I got to pay him 70 bucks, maybe more. If I'm going to pay that money, I want to pay him to fight in a way that is a fight that I want to enjoy, not the one that he wants to enjoy. I understand he's going to make choices for himself, but I don't need to, I mean, for with my money, I would first see him fight a Tony Ferguson, Kevin Lee even, uh, Habib Nurmagomedov, uh, Justin Gaethje, or who, a, a, any of those sound good to me, uh, rather than Paulie Malignaggi. And I like Paulie, but no, thank you. Cease fire. It says, I'm waiting for the quote, God has a plan speech from John Jones. See what he has to say. If made official, John will make history by being the only fighter to have had two belts stripped, correct? Not the way we expected. I think that's right. If Floyd loses to Connor at age 40, do you think he could make the changes needed to beat Connor in a rematch? Interesting question. Let's, let's see how, if he, God damn it. Let's see if he loses how bad it is. What's for dinner tonight? Don't know. What happens to the light heavyweight division? Jesus Christ. Another, this is what I mean. Another mess. An absolute mess. Uh, from your experience, how prevalent are yes-men in the fight game, and do they often lead to the downfall of a fighter? Any fighter with an entourage has one or more yes-men. So it's true for boxing or MMA. Anyone. All of them. Now, sometimes that yes-men can be cancerous, and sometimes that yes-man can be supportive. You know? Um, it actually is both, where... That yes man is by his side and is boosting him up. And maybe they get a little cocky, a little get arrogant, but they don't have everyone else around them also providing that kind of support. I've seen that before. Uh, but if you see a fighter with an entourage, rest assured, one or more of them, it's a given. The question you have to ask yourself is, is that yes man poisonous in the way in which they promote this, this bigger fighter? That's the, the, the bigger play here. Uh, I would cringe knowing that today's chat was preceded by a commercial with people singing Sweet Caroline. Worst song ever written. Uh, Dana said Habib couldn't make the NYC card. Tony and Habib were pushing for that card. What happened? So what he told me last night was they, off, they wanted to get Tony and Habib on the New York City card. And that Habib said he couldn't because he was injured. Then they went in the direction of Tony versus Kevin Lee. And then according to Dana, and I have not heard, I've not spoken to Habib, so maybe he has a different story. But according to Dana, 
it, you can't make it. So let's do Tony versus um, Kevin Lee. And when they made that pivot, apparently Habib and his people came back and said, uh, actually, we think, we think we can make it. Can we do that fight now? And they said by that point, they'd already moved on. That's Dana's side of the story. I will try to get Habib's and, or his manager's side. But that's, that, that's their side. Uh, oh, my God. I just want to hear you discuss Bob Bennett mouth-breathing hot air on the MMA hour. Oh, my Lord. See, I mean, <laughs> saying, oh, my God, this, this man, this man saying that they don't take into account uh, <laughs> how much it's going to bring when they make their decisions. I mean, look, that's, okay, number one, they have to say that, right? Because if you say that it's true, you would be, um, you would be um, essentially undercutting the office which you hold, right? But the reality is they serve the state. Uh, and they have shown repeatedly that they will do things at the higher end for fighters that are inane, like this glove thing, totally inane, that, uh, um, which by the way, Floyd has tried to do previously. Uh, at the Kodo fighter, I found out. Um, but I guess, you know, he wasn't big enough then. Now they're just too big. You know, look, here's the reality. If you're Bob Bennett, and you really wanted to regulate the sport super hard, you could. You could be an absolute dick about it, but you're not. Why? Well, you do have to provide some degree of regulation. They can't just let fighters get away with anything they want. It's not like the commission does nothing right. They do a lot of things right. The majority of fights, they, they handle just fine. Um, but the reality is, as the regulatory environment, or the, the regulators here, they have to create a regulatory environment that makes it hospitable for promoters and big-time fighters to come here, right? Because if you don't do that, what have you done? You have done damage to the state. Tennessee uh, complained previously to their commission that they made this commission to regulate MMA, and then there was no MMA coming through. And um, this was a major problem. They didn't know what to do with their commission anymore because they had nothing to do, right? And I don't think Las Vegas is necessarily on the verge of that or anything. Now, that's, that seems far-fetched, but the point being, massage it at the margins. So I'm not here to say that in every case they let, you know, they let whoever they want do whatever they want. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is, in general, they have to create a hospitable atmosphere for promoters to do work. They still have to do a job as well, but it's such a disingenuous lie to say that they don't take into account at all. It's a lie that potentially he has to say, but if you have to lie in your job, one last time, if you have to lie in your job, uh, in order to create a certain public impression, you're a politician. That's what you are. And that's fine. There are worse things to be than a politician, but that's what you are, right? So, so Bob Bennett saying, well, I don't take into account at all. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. If you really regulate it in a super tight way that you could and really hammer these guys, Conor McGregor saying, I don't know if I want to fight in Nevada again. I, this might be Floyd's last fight. He might retire 15-0. That leaves Conor. If that leaves Conor uh, and he doesn't want to fight here, you think that you think the, the state would be happy about that? I don't. I don't think they'd be happy about it either, the commission. They want to create an environment that is hospitable to big-time promoters and big-time fighters to bring uh, uh, the biggest attractions here. They can't abdicate the responsibilities completely, but they can't be, you know, dicks about it either to these guys. So at the margins, they let them do things they ordinarily wouldn't, and they'll sanction things they ordinarily wouldn't. And that's a fact. Okay, I have to get out of here. We got some other work to do. Uh, press conference today, I think, is at uh, what one thirty? One.
one o'clock local time, so 4 p.m. Um, be on the lookout for that. I'll be here most of the day trying to talk to people. Appreciate you guys tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at LThomasNews. Uh, here we go. Fight week is, a, is uh, in full swing. And until next time, I would just say, uh, stay frosty. <laughs>